Wow. I want to say before I begin this morning, thank you so much that this is all a team effort and, and we are in no way thinking that, well, this is just the, the um, results of a few people coming together. But this is all of us. This is all of us as a church family. And, and so for, for Reba and I and, and our family, we want to say thank you that we, we never dreamt this possible 13 years ago. Um, I always get emotional. I, am, I apologize. I don't know what it is. It must be the medication I'm on. I don't know what it is, you know, but I, I do. And I get this lump in my throat. And, and, uh, and, and so anyway, it, 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 I remember 13 years ago, and I'll not take a whole lot of time with this, but, and I didn't even plan this, but I, I remember 13 years ago when we rolled back into Anderson and and we we left what we had in North Carolina, and and trust me that it, it was like oh you're such a great sacrifice no because we man we were ready to get out of that place and get here is what we were wanting we know this is where God wanted us and and so it was a good place for us there also and and but all of this has been such an amazing journey and thank you so much for being a part of it and continuing to be a, a part of that where do you've been here you know the entire length or half the time or just a very short time or this is your first sunday hey we're glad that you're here we're all on the journey together god doesn't kind of you know he doesn't kind of categorize us as to oh these are the ones that have been the charter people that have been here and here's are the other ones absolutely not can i tell you we're all broken and messed up on the same journey together amen that's right Yes, and, and, and God is doing a work in all of our lives, and sometimes we get it right, and some days we get it really wrong. Isn't that right? We really do, but yet we're all on a journey together to build the kingdom of God. And I want to say thank you so much for being a part of that, for loving Reba and I and, and, and our boys and our daughter-in-loves and our granddaughters, for loving us in, in such a great way. I'm excited. I am excited about the next 13 years. So if you do the math, and I am 61, you add 13 to that. Well, you figured that out already, so I am definitely the old guy on the stage for sure and will be that for a long time but yet I, I want to say I, I just I, I'm not ready to throw the towel in and I'm not ready to say you know hey this is this is ready for someone else to do because I feel so vibrant and young and 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 ready to go for God you say Mark what are you smoking I no, I'm not smoking anything really I'm not it's just that no I feel that in my heart today and I'm, I'm super excited about that thank you for coming out this morning in this crowd on flu season and all that kind of stuff Reba and I've been home all week, and um, we've had the flu. We, we've had the flu, so it's okay, because I'll tell you that right up front, okay? You don't have to avoid us, all right? We're not going to kiss you. Don't worry about that, okay? But you don't have to avoid us, but, uh, but it, it has been so awesome that how you have cared for us also through this time, and we want to say, say thank you so much for coming out this morning and sharing with us. All right, let's, let's share the word together. Are you ready for the word this morning? Let's share the word together. It's the book of John. It's the book of John this morning. We're in the gospel of John, our series. And so it's the book of John chapter 21. Wait a minute, Mark. Last week we did chapter 11 and Nathan, our children's pastor, did such an amazing job about the story of Lazarus. So you can't jump out of order because that kind of messes my whole life up because I'm systematic. I have a list about everything. And so you just got to do chapter 12 today. So go get some more notes. No, today we do chapter 21. How many of you, just to kind of clear the air, has ever had a great book? You get somewhere through the book and you realize this is such a great book. I would just kind of like to know how it ends. And so you read the very last chapter before you finish the book. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Look, look at this room. Isn't that amazing? All the other people around you are perfect. That's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we entertain angels unaware, the Bible says, so there you go, right? And and so what we're going to do is the last chapter of the book of John, in just a moment, we're going to talk about the life of Peter, how that applies to us as a church, I think, and how that takes us into the future also. But can I tell you, Reva and I had a great experience this weekend, other than, you know, having the flu, and and that, that we had a great experience this weekend, and we moved into another generation. We did. We moved into another generation. Here's what we did. This is so exciting. I can't wait to tell you. Are you ready? Here's what we did. We ordered our groceries online, had someone shop for us and deliver it to our house. Yes, we have moved on. I'm 61 and I can do that. It's awesome. It was really great. We did that this week and it was so much fun because we read an article and our kids do it in Atlanta. So we thought, hey, why not Anderson, South Carolina? So we did it this week. And, and so we read an article because it saves time. Well, can I tell you for Reba and I, it took us two complete one-hour episodes of Hoarders for us to order our groceries online. It really did. Yes, it did. And they said, saves you money. Well, when we went to check out at the end, they offered us six months free financing for our groceries, right? <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but we did spend more than what we anticipated. It was a lot of fun. And then you get to watch the process, you know? You get to watch the progress of it on your computer screen. And, and so you see when they're shopping and they text you and say, hey, we're shopping for you and all those kinds of things. And we thought it was the best thing. So Reba said, give them instructions when they come to leave it on the front porch and put on there that we have the flu. Put that on there, okay? Yeah, so they'll just kind of throw it on the front porch and take off kind of deal. And so we waited and finally, you know, it was time in transit, it says. And so all of a sudden we hear our doorbell ring. We thought, well, evidently they didn't get the instructions. And so I went to the door and, and I opened the door and there's the lady delivering for us. And I said to her very nicely, I can't let you come past the door because we have the flu. I've never seen anybody unload groceries quick as that, get them on the door. And I think I heard her like, like squealing out of our driveway, leaving and getting out of there, I'm sure, because she didn't want to maybe be infected by us, you know? And, and so I just wanted to be upfront about what we were to going through in our house. And, and, that, and so I thought about, well, how does that apply to us this morning as a church? So, because I think the greatest thing that we can do going into the future for our next 13 years together as a body of Christ is that I think the greatest thing that we can do going into the future as a church is the one thing that we should never do. You say, Mark, that's very weird. That the greatest thing that we could do for the future is the one thing that we should never do. And that is, as a church, we should never project an image that we're perfect. We should never project this image to those around us that we're some whitewashed, squeaky clean group of individuals that have everything together in our lives and, and have, uh, you know, all and everything perfect within us and our families. No, understand that you and I are just as broken as those people in the world. We need to understand that. Have we been redeemed? Absolutely we're redeemed. Are we forgiven? Yes. Are we in relationship with God through the Son, Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Yes, we are. But we are not perfect in our lives. Are we messy? Yes. Are we inconsistent? Absolutely we're inconsistent. But are we on the journey? We are on a journey together. Yes. And if we project any image to those around us, 
whether they're on our job or they live on the same hall we do in our school or, 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 or wherever in our classroom, if we project any image to those around us other than that outside of grace, then what we have to do is we have to take the scriptures that we've been talking from and first of all, we have to eliminate the gospel of John from the Bible completely. We have to do that. We have to go to chapter 21 for sure and remove it because it's truly about grace and the reality of who we are. It is. And we specifically have to remove people like Peter who are going to talk about because what it shows in this is how God uses us in our current state of imperfection. How he uses us. Wow. Yes. So here's the thing. You know, you've greeted each other. You know each other really well. You know, this is what Mark does. And I, I, I love you that you kind of you know, tolerate this for me on time to time. So the person next to you may not understand absolutely how imperfect they are. So here's an opportunity for you to turn to the person next to you for a moment and say to them, you're not as perfect as you think you are. Say that to them for a moment, okay? Could you say that to them? Now, if you're here, you're single, And, you know, this is like a God moment for you, the providence of God that you come in of all the places to sit, you could sit by her, you've been watching her for a long time, then you can go ahead and and you can like, you know, uh, edit that and you can say to her something like, you're more perfect than you ever thought you were, you know? Or things like, did it hurt? And then you say, what do you mean? Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Stuff like that. So here's the deal, okay? All right. It's amazing how God uses us, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing how God uses us in his state of imperfection. So go to John chapter 21 for a moment. We're going to start at verse 15. Now, verses 1 through 14, let me give you a recap for just a moment. And, and I'm not assuming that you've ever been in church and, and, and you've heard this before, so let's just kind of start from the beginning. And that is that this is post-resurrection time. And, and Peter has already denied Christ. Christ was crucified. He's resurrected. Uh, he's appeared to the disciples before this already. So what do the disciples do? They, know, they don't know what to do at this moment. So they go back fishing. It's Peter's idea. He leads them. They go back fishing. Why? Because they're looking for place and purpose in their life. So don't throw rocks at Peter this morning yet. And, and so they go back fishing. They're on the Sea of Tiberias. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. The sun is coming up and all of a sudden they look out and John, the disciple, he looks and he sees a figure on the, on the beach and the figure simply yells out to them and says, hey, children, he calls them children, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And the first thing that they think is, well, who does he think he is? We went out here fishing all day, all night. We've caught nothing. And that's when you fish on the Sea of Tiberias is at night. So you can't fish when the sun comes up, but yet they do it anyway. And when they throw the net in, the net becomes so full of fish, they can't pull it out. And so John the Beloved, the writer of our gospel this morning, he looks to Peter and he says, Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. What does Peter do? You have to understand his personality, right? He pulls off his outer cloak. He he strips down is what he does. He dives into the water. He swims to Jesus on the shore and leaves everybody else with the fish. They bring it in. He helps them bring the fish into the shore. And what they find is Jesus. He's cooking breakfast. He has fish and bread on the fire already ready for them. But yet when I put myself in this moment... Here is Peter at this, this post-resurrection moment. He's denied Christ, and now he's face-to-face with the one that he's denied. There has to be this overwhelming 
overwhelming weight of guilt in his life as he's looking into the eyes of Christ at that moment because I'm not sure that Peter ever recuperated completely from that moment in his life when he denies Christ. I'm not sure he ever does because all these words that Jesus had been speaking to him while Peter was walking as a disciple with Christ, they ring in his ear continually. Before we get to John chapter 1, can I read to you some words between Jesus and Peter from the book of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at Jesus' words to Peter. Verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Burjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And when I look at this, and then I take myself back and put myself in this scene in chapter 21 of the gospel of john i'm thinking well what what is jesus saying here was jesus wrong about peter was jesus just a bad judge of character with people absolutely not we know that's not the truth right is 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 jesus just this optimist that he only sees the good in the lives of people so he's not seeing the reality and on the contrary Jesus sees Peter exactly as who he is, broken, absolutely broken as he is a broken man, yes. But in the hands of a redeeming God, what I realize is this, that our brokenness becomes beauty. That in the hands of a redeeming God, that our brokenness becomes beauty. Can we even see Peter's own words? Again, in John chapter 6 and verse 66, before we get to John chapter 21. After this, many of the disciples turned back again, or turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And yet we find Peter in this setting with Christ after he's denied him. He's gone fishing because he's trying to find place and purpose in life. And he's face to face with the resurrected Lord in whom he denied. So here we are in John chapter 21. Now, verse 15. Let's read the narrative. And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Right there in my notes, I insert the word frustration because he's frustrated. But I think there's even a better word that he's almost offended at Jesus asking him these things. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, I underline this, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, that you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And what Jesus has done here is he's laying out how Peter is going to die. Boy, that's a great way to start a conversation, isn't it? Yes, it is. And this is this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
So a couple of thoughts this morning as we venture into this narrative together. The first is this. Do you love me more than these? That's the question. Do you love me more than these? Listen, can I tell you something? Jesus knows our hearts. Don't be fooled this morning. He knows our hearts because Peter says it best here. Lord, you know everything. And when we, when we read that, what we realize is that includes our hearts, our minds, the intents of our very thoughts. It is this. And he, loves all, he knows all those things, yet he still loves us. And because he loves us, he speaks directly to our hearts, as he does Peter. He speaks directly to the heart of Peter. But you, but you have to ponder this for a moment. If Peter says, Lord, you know everything, then why does he ask Peter a question? It doesn't seem to be right. Because God asks, poses questions to you and I, not for his informational purposes, because he does know everything. But he poses questions to you and I because it's for our benefit. Because, listen, he's truth. He is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. You and I struggle to find truth in life. So this questioning is for him to reveal the truth to that of Peter, of Peter's own heart. And so what he does is this, a God who loves us, a creative God who loves you and I, he refuses to leave you and I in the state that we find ourselves in. He refuses to leave us as we are today. He does. I think that's wonderful news, isn't it? Yes, that God doesn't back off and say, whoa, that's way too much for me. Dude, you are really messed up, and I just got to back off for a minute, think about how we're going to work this out in your life, and I'll get back to you in a little while. No, God never backs off from us, but God presses into us, lovingly presses into us, because he refuses to leave us where we are. Verse 15, and when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Man, I got stuck on that more than these thought. Well, what does that mean? Because generally when we teach this, we say, oh, that means everything that we put before Christ. And I'm not saying that you take that out and that's not correct. But I think when you look at it contextually, what I believe it's a, very more, it's a much more specific address that Christ has in the life of Peter that day. It is because he knows Peter's heart. Contextually, he's focusing in on something that's wrong in Peter's life. Because the these of that statement more than these... What it simply means is this. It's the present company excluding Jesus. It is. It's the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? What do you mean? Because Peter is always kind of boasting in his life that he loves Jesus more than all the others. He has. Whether it's implied or whether it's spoken, he's always kind of left that, that out there for people to kind of, you know, infer. It's, it's an inferred thing to you and I. Oh, look. Think about the garden. Oh, who's the first one to stand up and pull the sword? You're not going to take Jesus this way. Absolutely not. Where are the other disciples? They're kind of hiding, you know, in the bushes somewhere. But it's Peter who does that. At the Passover meal, Jesus says, hey, somebody's going to forsake me. Right? What does Peter say? Everybody else may forsake you, Lord, but I will never forsake you. Absolutely not. In the book of Matthew, you know, Peter tells Jesus, hey, whether it's death or whether it's prison, I'm all in. Yes, listen, Dabo Sweeney didn't come up with that statement. Understand that. Realize that. No, this is a Jesus thing. Yeah, this is a, this is a Peter thing. That prison or death, I'm all in with you. Listen, what I realize about Peter, as I studied through this text this last week or so, is this, that, that the greatest sin of Peter's life was not the denial of Christ, no, because Peter's greatest struggle is Peter himself. It, it's it, it is. That he can't see his own pride. It's his lack of humility. And a lack of humility in my life, a lack of humility in our life corporately as a church, 
What it is, it's a result of a deficiency of our understanding of God's sovereignty in our life, that God orchestrates all of our lives. We think, wait a minute, I'm in control. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm in control. I set the path, I, I set the path of my own destiny. So, so I'm in control. I'm going to set the path of my own destiny, and, and I'm going to make things happen. And that's exactly the very much the heart of Peter. And, and, and we live that way at sometimes in our life. Listen, he's the one that tries to school Jesus in, in the book of Matthew, where he takes Jesus aside and says, Hey, listen, now this is not the way it's going to go down with you. Understand the crucifixion and all that, and you got to die. That's not going to accomplish anything, because here's the deal. You know, this is the way we're going to do it. So that's the life of Peter. That's the person that he actually is. And what I love about this, because we point out all these crazy dysfunctions about Peter, is in the middle of all of this, what we glean from this is that we're fully known. We are fully known. And that's one part of it. But also the second part of this is that we're fully loved. In the middle of that, God knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you. It doesn't change God's mind about you in, in, in one, one bit whatsoever. Listen, God is not waiting around for some completed version of you, some perfected version of you, so that you know when you're complete and everything is done, then he loves you. No, he's not doing that. And we say, well, I know that. God loves me. But I think the tough part for you and I is this, that he's not waiting for some completed version of us that he can love through you. Because listen, there's, there's some of you in this room this morning that, that you, you have, you've messed up. I mean, that, that's the truth. You, you've messed up in life. And so what you've done is this. You've said, you know, there's no way that God can use me because of this in my life. There's no way that that can happen in my life because God could, you know, God may love me, but God could never love through me. And I think that's the struggle because what I realize is this. When God loves me, he never shies away from challenging me. He never shies away from me growing in him because here's the statement. God values what's on the inside. God values what is on the inside this morning in our life. Understand that greater than what is on the outside of our lives. He values what's on the inside of our lives greater than what is on the outside of our lives. This week I heard, I, I came across this amazing quote. We went to church with, with our son, our daughter-in-love, and our two wonderful granddaughters in Atlanta last Sunday morning. That's where we were. And, and so we went to a church called North Metro Church in Atlanta. Had an amazing service. It was, a, it, it, was a, it was a great time. But the pastor that morning used a quote, and I, I want to use it. You say, Mark, are you stealing his stuff? No, I'm going to give you who said it, okay? okay? I'm going to say it. it's a quote by Christine Kane. And it's a powerful quote by Christine Kane. And it, and it has made an indelible mark upon my life. He used it. It wasn't his. So I'm going to use it, Christine Kane. This is what she says. If the light that is within you, I think it's up on the screen. If the light that is within you is not greater than the light that is on you, then the light that is on you will destroy you. I thought, I have to read that again. If the light that is within you is not greater than the light that is on you, then the light that is on you will destroy you. I thought, wow. 
That's a powerful statement. That applies so well to Peter because he pulls this light around him so many times. Whether he means to or not, he really does. And the reality is that what is supposed to be greater in my life and your life, in the life of Peter, in the life of Mark, in the life of anybody else in this room, it is the light that truly is within you and I. Listen, church is a messy thing. Did you know that? Church is a messy place. If church is not messy, then listen, church is not being the church. Understand that. Why is it messy? Can I tell you why church is messy? Can I tell you why Hope Fellowship is messy? I can tell you. You ready? Because I showed up. Really, it is. Yes. Yes. It's because I'm here. Now, don't look at me and judge me because you're here too. And you even made it more messier. And even even more messier than that, this morning, if you're a family, you loaded up all the little sinners from your house and you are surrounded by a bunch of little sinners. You really are. You know that. Admit it, right? Yes, you put all those little sinners in the car. They're complaining, they're griping. Somebody's touching me. Don't look at me. All those kinds of things, right? And, and you think, wait a minute, did I put my kids in the back of the car? Did I put Satan himself in the back of the car, right? Yes, right? And, 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 you, and you got in and, and you went to turn the car on and all of a sudden your battery is dead, you know, kind of thing. And wow, and, and so your life just becomes more messy. That's it. And some of you from college, I mean, you loaded up some of your sinning roommates and you, you know, they live in the hall with you. You share a room with you and you brought them together. Absolutely. And so here we are is a big mess. And can I tell you what the world really despises? It's not that the world despises God. It's not that at all. I truly believe that. But what I believe is this, the world despises Christians because we have simply made the light that is on us greater than the light that is within us. Because we are messy. There's no doubt about that. We are messy. That's a phone call from the Lord. So hang on, okay? We'll find out in a moment. But we, we see it's even messy in here. So I love it. Isn't that great? Yes. So we, I mean, it is. It is a mess in this room. And the beauty of this is that not only does God love us, but He loves through us in the middle of all of that. But I think the key is that quote: "If the light that is within you is not greater than the light that is on you, then the light that is on you will destroy you." It's about pride and arrogance. Can I talk to you about arrogance for a moment? Well, Mark, this is a great subject for our 13th anniversary. Whoop, let's, you know, I hope the cookies you give us at the end are really good to make up for this about arrogance, yes? It's James chapter 4, verse 13. And here's what James says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. This is about arrogance, so hold on. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and, and, and do this or that. As it is, as, is, as it is, as it is, I get in a moment, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. There's the word, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here's what Jesus says. He says, hey, if you're going to, or James says, James says, if you're going to talk about humility, then you got to talk about arrogance for a moment. 
Because when you look at Peter, man, you think there's some real arrogance in his life. There is. We, he attempts to school Jesus on how to be the redeemer of all mankind. Now, and you say, oh, but I can't see myself arrogant. I'll tell you why. Because you're probably not going around bragging all the time about things in your life. You're not probably doing that. But this is talking about biblical arrogance. And let me tell you what biblical arrogance is. Biblical arrogance is you thinking that you're in control of your own life. That you're in control of your own destiny. That somehow you're setting the path for your own future. And it's not, not, you know, talking against planning and being wise and those kinds of things. But the reality is, I think the greatest, the greatest denial of Christ in our life is to deny his sovereignty and direction and guidance of our life. It is. That God guides our steps. He's the one that sets our path. Yet when we sit in that seat and we think we're the one that does that in our life, that is the greatest example of arrogance. So Mark, you know, my life is crazy right now. And man, it's really stressful. Can I tell you how to take a little stress out of your life? Then mix a little humility in your life. What do you mean? It's the knowledge and you live like, the, like the, what the scripture says, that you're a mist. Unless God establishes your life, you're a mist. That you don't know what tomorrow may bring. You may be walking with Christ as Peter. You might be walking on the water. Yeah, is, is what you might be doing. You might be fishing after the resurrection, preaching on the day of Pentecost. But life is like a mist. Because life is more than longevity. It's more than how long you live. But life is about who you're depending upon. Life is about who you rely on. Life is about living every day in the light of mercy and grace. That's it. Greater is the light that is within me than the light that is on me. And that light is humbling and restful because I know that God is in control of my life ultimately. So this is not about me. This is about him. Can I tell you something else that I found in this text? It's the next thought. It's this, and this all goes together. It's hurt translates into healing. Hurt translates into healing. You know, when I was a kid, that, that I, I got a few uh, spankings. Is that the right word? I, I think, I think, I think my, my dad, it was, well, it was whoopings. You know what a whooping is, right? Yes? There's a spanking and a whooping, I guess. I don't know. I'm not talking about abusing your children. If you're doing that, then I want to tell you, then, then you got other problems and you need to get some help with that in your life. Understand that, right? So, he, but, but, but yet, I, I got a lot of those. In, and I know my, my dad would always say to me, my dad always called those times when we get the whooping, he would always call those prayer meetings. He raised me to hate prayer. He really did, yeah, right? God says, time to pray. Oh, God, please don't. No, that's, that's not what I meant, God says, right? He's called it prayer meeting. I guess because you, you were in this, you know, that kind of that position. I don't know, is what it was, yes. But he always said to me, the biggest lie ever spoken to any child that's ever lived on the face of the earth, and that is what? This hurts me more than it hurts you. That's a lie, okay? Yes. Until I became a parent and I realized what he meant, right? Absolutely. I, what I realized about life is that Hurt translates into healing. Can I, can I continue reading the text? I read verse 15 again for you for a moment. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter's grieved. When we first read this, we said, oh, 
it's, he's annoyed or it, it, you know, fr- he's frustrated. But now that we understand his arrogance in some ways, what we realize is that Jesus has jumped with both feet right in the middle of his pride. That's what he's done. Yes. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Can I set the scene for you for a moment? And here's the scene. Jesus removed the band-aid from Peter's life. So many of you this morning. You come in here week after week with your life band-aided. You're hiding the hurts. You're hiding the pain of your life. You're hiding the sin, the arrogance, the pride. You're hiding the, the doubt and the fear. You're hiding the abuse. And, and you put band-aids over that. And, and we can't see them because they're not physical band-aids. But yet they're very much there as emotional band-aids all over your life and spiritual band-aids. And, and, you, and you walk in and we claim to be healed when we're covered with band-aids. We got all of our boo-boos covered with band-aids, you know, like kids do, right? And we, gotta, and we claim to be healed. And what I, when I begin to read this, what I realize, this is Jesus removing the band-aids of of Peter's life. I learned as a dad being the medic of the home, you know, that especially with our son Grayson, Grayson was the kid that that refused to ever wear shoes. He refused to ever stay away from things that were dangerous. He, you know, it was always like, dude, I can run through the woods at the back of our house completely barefooted, no big deal. Other than I tell him there's glass everywhere until he comes and, you know, there, he's standing in a puddle of blood. And I realize a Band-Aid will not fix that, right? Yes. And, and, and so I, mean, I, I realized that. But when I put a Band-Aid on him, there's two ways to remove a Band-Aid. You can remove it very slowly, especially if they've done something you don't like. You know, you're looking him in the eye and you're just pulling it little by little. Or, you know, if it's a good day, you just tear it off. Because the most humane thing to do is just to remove it quickly. What I realize what's happening here with Jesus is he's just taking the very edge of that band-aid in Peter's life. And he's just, he's just pulling him off. He's just exposing the hurt of his life. I begin to think through this process with him. Peter denies Jesus in the early morning hours outside the courtyard of the temple that day. When does Jesus show up to Peter and cooking breakfast? The early hours of the morning, just as the sun is coming up on the Sea of Tiberias. I think that every morning when the sun comes up, it reminds Peter of his failure in his life. And here's Jesus. Jesus could have come in the afternoon, right? He could have come in the middle of the night. But he comes in the morning because he steps right into the middle of the pain of Peter's life. He does. Here is Peter that early morning hour. He's already thinking about his failure. There's Jesus. He swims to the shore. He, he remembers all the words that Christ has spoken to him. Many of them that you and I have read also. And, and he, he faces Jesus eye to eye, face to face, toe to toe. It's those very eyes that he gazed into in that temple courtyard when he's standing outside and he's denying that he ever even knew him and Jesus meets eye to eye with him it's the very same eyes and so Jesus begins to question him because here's what Christ does he presses with love into our life understand that he is a he is a relentless God who loves you to the point that he will press with love into your life he will not let up because he hates the things that harm you in life understand that he is the perfect good father this morning who will not release you he will not 
not give you up to the enemy. He will not sell you out. He will not walk away from a task that seems to be so great in your life. But he presses into our lives because he loves us. Because he loves us. And that's exactly what he does in Peter's life. And he he asks him these questions. And after every question, I begin to realize after every question in Peter's life, there's a command, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. There's a command after every time he asks him a question. Why? Because what he's saying to Peter is this. I'm not finished with you, Peter. I'm not finished with you. Things are dark and things are really gloomy right now in your life. And you don't have a lot of direction. But understand this, Peter, that I am not finished with you. Listen, hear this from the Lord this morning. God is never finished with you. He is never finished with you. I don't care how many times you denied him. I don't care how many times that you've been angry. I don't care how many times that you have had really coarse and, and, and conversations with him in life and the things that you've called him because you're angry at him as God. God will never give up on you. He is not finished with you. The road to Peter's healing simply came through the hurt of his life. And I think it's so easy for you and I to judge him this morning. I really do. I think it's so easy for us to look at his life and say, look at all the things he's done and all these moments that he's wasted in life. I think it's always very easy to do that. Yes, he's failed God. But can I tell you something? You might call him a traitor or whatever. But I want to tell you something. Does that really really adequately describe who Peter is? It does not. Because why would Jesus be having this conversation with him? Because Jesus knows Peter far better than he knows him. Himself. What do you mean? It's what Jesus says about him in Luke 22 and 31. And when I read that this week, man, this hit me like this ton of bricks in my life. It did. It's Luke 22 and 31. This is what he says. Jesus says to Peter, before Peter denies him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But look what he says. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Some of you are saying that, well, just because you have acted a certain way in life, listen, that that's who you are. Can I tell you, God looks beyond our behavior. He doesn't look over our behavior. Understand that. But he looks beyond our behavior to our very heart. Because some of you have thought in your life, I did this in life. So that is currently the handle that you use to refer to yourself as stop. Stop it. That is not what God does here. Realize that. He does not. He knows Peter's heart. He knows your heart this morning. You sit there sometimes, I think, on a Sunday morning as as somehow your sin is a surprise to God. That what you've done in life has caused God to blush. Can I tell you, that's not the case at all. Because you've greatly underestimated grace in your life. You've greatly underestimated the work of God within your life. I think the lie is that you are what you do. And when we see this, what we realize is that God does not treat him like a betrayer here. Is that is not the case at all. No, no, God is speaking to his very heart. And what he says to Peter is this, follow me. He says, follow me. Why? Because here is the thought, obedience leads to development in my life. And when I become obedient to God, God begins to develop my life and I grow in him. And that is exactly what God is doing. But it's more than forgiveness. This is about God recommissioning Peter in his life. It is. What he's saying to Peter is, let's start where we left off, bro. 
That's exactly what he's saying. Let's, let's start where, where we left off. It's never over. You may have disqualified yourself, but I'm just paraphrasing. I think what God would say to him is this. You are never qualified to qualify yourself anyway, Peter. No, this has always been a work of grace within your life. And some of you have disqualified yourself with God and how God would work through you this year. How God would speak through you and love through you and love others and how you would make disciples. You've disqualified yourself because of the things that you've done in life. Can I tell you, you never had the ability to qualify yourself to begin with. It's always been a work of grace within your life. You bring nothing to the table other than just you. If we're to be the church, if we're to be a gospel-centered community as we talk about all the time, then this is the way that we have to live in life. That we live out our faith in light of that of grace and mercy, not what we have done. Because greater is the light that is within us than the light is upon us. And so what God begins to do, and I wrap this up with one more thought, what God begins to do is he begins to redeem those moments in Peter's life. He begins to redeem those moments in Peter's life. So my last thought is this, what about this man? What about this man? It's it's a quote from Peter in this. Yeah, you know what this is? You think, wait a minute, Peter's gone through all this. Jesus has called him out. Jesus spoke it to his heart. And then Peter's good to go, right? Peter is good, man. Everything is done in his life and and everything is taken care of. And can I tell you, at the very end of all of this, Peter looks at Jesus when he looks at John, uh, John, the apostle John. He says, hey, what about this man? It's an important thought, and I have, to, I have to read this text with you. It's verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. This was said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. They, listen, God never sees him as a failure. This is wonderful. It is how he's going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter's good, right? Everything is good. What does Peter immediately do? Oh, he's so much like you and I, isn't he? He turns, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and one who also had leaned against uh, him during the last or during the supper or the last supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? <laughs> what about this guy? You know? I don't know. Did the Lord just want to just like punch Peter out? I, I, that's what, if I was Jesus, I'd have just laid him out right there in front of everybody. What's wrong with you, man? Can't you get your stuff together? I mean, we just had this conversation. Then you look at John and say, well, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, look at what Jesus says. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is John the beloved. Yeah. This, he's called that in this disciple that Jesus loves. He's the writer of the gospel. Yes, he's the one that's depicted in the painting of the Last Supper, leaning that on the shoulder of Jesus. He's the one that poses the question to Jesus, that at the Passover meal, who's going to betray you, Lord? He, he, he is the disciple standing at the foot of the cross, and Jesus says, hey, son, behold your mother. And, and mother, behold your son, that he gives, he gives him charge over his own mother. It's what it, where's Peter? Peter's hiding because he's betrayed Jesus. Yes, 
And Peter's looking and saying, dude, how can I compare to this? This guy, he's awesome, you know. How can I compare to this? This is the guy that has memorized most of the New Testament. Evidently, he reads his devotion every morning at 5 o'clock. No matter what happens, he does that, right? He's discipling 10 people at one time. This is an amazing... How can I compare to this guy? What he's saying is this. Is he going to suffer as much as I'm going to suffer? That's what he's saying to Jesus. That's his first thought. What about John? You've laid out my death to me. It's not a very nice way to go. It's not like going out in a blaze of glory. It's not that at all because I'm going to be crucified is what you're going to say. So, so what about this guy? Is he going to suffer? And let me finish with this because I think it's a question that we all ask. And it's so practical for you and I this morning. Why is life different for me? Why is life different for me? I think you could ask that about anyone in this room. Why is life different for the person sitting next to me? You know? You swipe through Facebook, you know, right? Yeah? Uh, where, where everybody has a glorious life, right? Isn't is that? Yeah, you can make it what you want. It's wonderful, isn't it? And, and I'm not anti, I'm not anti social media. I, I, you know? Some of you do need to dump social media before it dumps you. I just, I think you need to realize that in your life that you're just, that's where you are. Yeah, but when you go on there, why why is life different for them? Why does everything that they touch seem to turn to gold, and everything I touch seems to turn to you know what? Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I wrote crap in my notes, but I wasn't going to say that. Okay. All right. But... Jesus, I love you more than all of them. Hey, I'm the dude that pulled the sword to save you in the garden. But Peter, you're setting a bar in your life so high that you judge yourself by it and you'll never reach it. And so Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. I think it's a nice way of him saying nunya, you know, like nunya business, right? Kind of deal. But I think it's, I think it's greater than that. What is that to you that you follow me? Here's the thought. God does not judge me according to my superiority or my inferiority over anyone. Do you realize that? God does not judge me according to my superiority or inferiority over anyone. It's the light that is within me, not the light that is on me. And that applies to us as individuals and that applies to us as a church this morning as we go forward. Jesus is saying to Peter, these are not the standards, Peter. No. That I have a work for you to do, and it's going to be different than everyone else around you. So what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. You follow me. I don't know if you know this or not. Man, I I love preaching to you guys. My time is up, but that we're all different in this room. Now, this is my prayer time, so don't count on the preaching time, okay? So now I can uh, talk. That, that this is, because when the music starts, that's, that's the, the clock starts over, right? Yeah. They were all wired differently in this room. God uses us all very differently. He does. We are. I wrote in my journal this week when I began to explore that thought. 
what is that to you? You follow me and how different we all are and how sometimes that we use the life of the person next to us to somewhat be the bar of our life and judge us by. And sometimes it's a bar that we can never reach in life. Even Reba and I are different. We are. She's a woman, I'm a man. She is a woman. Oh boy, yeah. A beautiful woman. Yeah, I'll I'll not go any further than that, but yes, she is, yes. Reba's far more compassionate than I am. Did you know that? I don't know if you know her, but she is. Some of you that know her, you know that very well. I'm not a mean guy. I'm just nowhere compassionate like she is. That I wrote in my journal that for my wife, for Reba, my wife, is which how I should say that. That her call from God doesn't piggyback off of mine. Because I'm not the standard. I'm not the standard. God speaks to her many times when he does not speak to me. What is that to you, Jesus says to Peter? You follow me. We all share in the commonality of that is the grace that enables us to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish for the kingdom. But yet, we're different. So for that thing this morning that God wants us to know about ourselves, I I put this in my notes last night, a statement. It says this, and, and I would want you to write this down and maybe give this some thought as you leave here this morning. And the statement is this, what is it to you? And I put a big line and a question mark because these are the words of Jesus. What is it to you? You follow me. And you fill in the line. What is it to you that, and you fill in the blank, you follow? So I thought of a few things to help you this morning. What is it to you that they will never forgive you? Because there are people in your life this morning that hold you hostage because they will not forgive you. What is it to you that they will never forgive you? You follow me. Because it's the light inside of you that counts. What is it to you that they have prospered financially and you have not? You follow me, Jesus says. What is it to you that they're married and you're divorced or you're single? Stop. You follow me. Because the light that is within us should always be greater than the light that is on us. For some of you, if you fill in that blank today, I believe that God will set you free. It's a path of freedom and healing of the hurt in your life. Because as God has called Peter and recommissioned Peter, he calls you and he recommissions you. He knows everything about you, and yet he loves you. So would you bow your heads for a moment with me this morning? Father, we love you greatly. You are our source. You are 
the foundation of our lives. Your grace and mercy is undeserving, but yet freely given to all of us. And Father, there are many in this room that have disqualified themselves this morning because of the things that they do, because they truly believe that they are what they do. And God, what we realize is that you look at Peter's life and you dispel that thinking because you know our hearts. That your love drives you, Lord, to press us at times for healing. That the healing for our lives is found right in the middle of the hurt. And God, we have to answer the question, what is that to you? You follow me. Because you don't judge us by our superiority or our inferiority in any situation or any other person's life. But it's just about the light that is within us. So speak powerfully to us in this moment of meditation as we lean into you, God, this morning. May we have a moment with you a moment of truth and a moment of freedom today in our lives. And Father, these things we ask in your name.